0: All right, we should be going live momentarily. Um, to everyone who is joining in on in zoom on Facebook Live and Andresha live. Welcome. Good morning. Good afternoon. This is the final session of the struggles of Jacob with Rabbi David Silver. It has been and it has been a pleasure learning with you this through this falls man, and let's wrap it up with one more good class. See how far we get. Um, if you would like to follow along in your own Tanakh, you are certainly welcome to, in starting in Genesis 31. Otherwise, we will share fr- on the screen from Safaria. All right. Rabbi Silver. Good morning.
1: Thank you very much. Yeah, this is the last of these sessions. Hopefully we continue uh, the very end of January with for Bereshit. So looking forward to that as well. So we're up to the Yaakov has run away from Wavah. And uh, Lovin is chased after him and overtaken him. And they exchange, uh, I would say, counter charges. Lovin says, why did you steal away? And not only that, you stole my gods. And Yaakov responded, I was stole away. Because if I hadn't stolen away, you would not have permitted your daughters to leave. You would have by force kept them with you. And as far as your gods are concerned, whoever took them should die. Yaakov didn't know that Rachel had taken them. That's what the Torah says. And then Yaakov adds, and by the way, if you want to go search, go right ahead and search. So normally when somebody says, if you want to search me, go search, you don't do it. But the case of Ravan, it's not true. And Ravan does search. In fact, he searches all of the tents, Yaakov's tent and the tents of the various wives. And he can't find anything. When he comes to Rachel's tent, she hides the Trafim that she has stolen in a saddlebag, and she gives the excuse that she can't stand up because derech nashimli, the way of women is upon me, and he, Lovin can't find the trafim. So we ended, I think, with a, as I remember, with the point being that the Torah, in fact, has told us why she steals the trafim. It's a perfect example of irony. He hears one thing, but we, the reader, hear something else. He is, would be impolite or wasn't customary in those times for a woman in that state to stand up, or maybe she was deemed to be too ill to stand up, who knows, or too weak. Um, Little evidence today that that's the case, but perhaps that was a common prevailing thought. But we read it differently. We read it that derech nashimli means two things. A, I'm not presently pregnant, and B, I could become pregnant. What she's really saying to him is, look, Father, um, I appreciate that these are your idols, not just any old idols, but the idols of her father, which is important. Unfortunately, I need them more than you, because since I'm still capable of having a child, and we should add, when Yosef was born, she named him Yosef because she said, Yosef, Hashem, ri, God should grant me another child. So she wants another child. Meanwhile, the husband thinks mission accomplished. She's headed home. So she takes the Trophim to help her perhaps have a child. It is true, most certainly, that she said earlier, Yosef, Hashem should grant me. And she's, it's almost a prayer. Hashem should grant me a child. That is true. But, you know, we can see, we can read this, and that's how I, what I suggested last week, as a situation of somebody who is desperate, is willing to try virtually anything, to, uh, to uh, hopefully accomplish the, uh, the, the goal. The example that I gave is the story of Shaul, her great, great, great grandson, or whatever, who goes to the Balat Ov, famous chapter, Witch of Endor, as she's called. Really, it's a medium of Endor. But and Shaul himself is out of the says the 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 the, the He himself is outlawed them under apparently pain of death. But God's not talking to him, and the prophets aren't talking to him, and God's not speaking in dreams, and Shmuel is dead. So out of desperation, you you seek you seek a revelation. We want to we seek revelation sometimes from all kinds of uh Places who perhaps under ordinary circumstances wouldn't go there, but out of a sense of desperation and a feeling of hopelessness, we turn to people and to uh, to positions, to roads, to all kinds of things that normally speaking would be off limits. So that's the way I read Rachel. She goes to the truffle because maybe they'll help her. Why had your bets? but she also hopes Hashem will help her. So you try every which way. Remember, she's already tried. She gave her servant to Yaakov as a wife. She negotiated for the mandrakes. She had said, Havu banim," a request with a veiled threat or else I'll die. And she will in fact die in childbirth. So the stories are are of one piece. And because the Trophim, because wanting the other child, fits in with all the stories, that makes it a very good interpretation. I would add that we also remember, certainly, that in the book of Shmuel, uh, 1 Samuel, um, after Shaul has determined that David is his, a threat and wants to kill David, and David is married to Shaul's daughter, Michal, Shaul sends his messengers to surround the house of Michal to wait till the morning and to kill David and Michal knows about this and she warns David and she lowers him out the window so he can escape and she puts in the bed his bed she puts we are told trophim. which means first of all they must come in different sizes because the trophim, in the case of Shmuel are big enough to resemble a person Here, they seem to be small. She's sitting on them inside the saddlebag. But what's interesting is that Michal has Trafim, and we know that at least as far as David and Michal are concerned, the Pasuken Shmuel says, that Michal had no children, at least no children with David, until the day of her death. So it would then fit in very well that the Trophim were a kind of fertility God perhaps, that she perhaps wants a child and is not able to have a child. So she has Trophim. And once again, they are Shaul's daughter. So what follows this line of Rachel and going down through Shaul and uh, who seeks out the Ove. And then you have the Trophim with his daughter. In fact, in Divrei Hayamim which says very little about Sha'ul, I would add, but it does say he was dismissed from office because he sought out the ov, the Baalat ov, and doesn't go into the whole story. Um, However, that would certainly support the idea that, and there's more support we'll get to later, that she took the trophim in order to have a child. And the Torah, in fact, lest one not understand this, the Torah basically tells you, by this gratuitous comment of Rachel, sorry father, I can't stand up, ki derech is the Torah's way of teaching us or telling us to understand that Tzafim uh, were taken, stolen out of a desire to have this other child that she had spoken of earlier when she named her son Yosef. That's as far as we got last time. I would like to try to finish the chapter today if we can, so let's start now with 36 Pasuk and see how far we can get. And I'll stop periodically to take comments or questions. Okay, so Pasuk Ramid Babaikharu mm-hmm. Yaakov Yaakov got angry and he uh, took up his grievance with Ravan. Here they translate that way. He argued with Ravan. Bayan Yaakov Ayamaru Ravan. So Yaakov gets angry. Those are the first two words by Yichar Yaakov, by Yareb Ravan. And we recall that the story sort of began in chapter 30, after he's married to without Leah and Rachel. We remember that Rachel said, give me children. And the Torah then continues, Vayichar Yaakov Mirachel. Yaakov got angry at Rachel. So the story, at the beginning, we have Vayichar. Right away, gets angry at this poor woman. And it took him 20 years to get angry at Lavan. But he finally gets angry at Lavan. And both times, the Torah uses the word Vayichar. And we had commented earlier that the place is called Haran. He goes to Haran. We pointed that out, that the Torah plays with Haran is anger that the house of Lavan is a place of anger and just to recall we I suggested that it's a place of anger anger is often associated often comes together with a situation where somebody feels that they deserve more that they're not getting what they deserve in the positive sense they're not being rewarded amply for their whatever so that certainly is Lavan because for love, no matter whatever you give love, and it's never going to be enough. As he will say explicitly a few verses down, it's all mine. So that kind of thinking—that it's all mine—magieli, as we say in Hebrew—that uh, moves us towards anger because it's not right, it's not fair. Why is the other person getting more than me? Why aren't I getting you know what I really deserve? So that's the anger. So the place of Haran is a place of anger. And anger is has a constructive side to it sometimes, but often it is not helpful. But in this particular case, it takes Yaakov twenty years, but he gets angry. And what seems to to finally spark Yaakov's anger seems to be the invasion of the tents. Yaakov had said, "Listen, you want to go search? Go search. I I, I, know, I know nothing about it." So Lovan searches and after he can't find anything, this is what uh, causes Yaakov to become very angry and to accuse Lovan and to now to give his side of the story, his understanding of the last 20 years. I would add over here that in terms of Lovan going into the tents, it's very interesting, the verb that the Torah has chosen to describe Lovans going into the tents and that is Back in verse number um, verse number thirty four, it says Loman went into the tents. Vayimashesh et kola o'el v'lo Vayimashesh means to touch them, to feel them. Later on in verse number thirty five, it uses a different word. Vayichapes, he searched for them. That's the word you expect. Luchapeis to search. But if I am mashesh to touch, to feel, and actually Yaakov picks up on the verb lumashesh, because in verse number thirty-seven, he's very angry. He says, mm-hmm. You've groped, you've grasped, right? Here they try to say rummage through the mashesh, all of my vessels. What have you found? Show us what you found. And this will decide between the two of us. He's found nothing. So with, of course the verbal of mashesh is the one that interests us. Doesn't it because the verbal of mashesh me? we encounter with Yaakov and his mother says to be shy mushni is what Yitzhak says to Yaakov. He doesn't can't believe it's actually Aesab. I mean, something's not right. And that was Yaakov's greatest fear. But Yaakov is wearing the the the, the, uh, the um the kids skin, the kids, right? He has these the on his hands, etc. On his neck, his hands. So Yitzhak is fooled. And now we have a kind of quid pro quo. There it was, Jacob deceiving his blind father. And the case over here, we have not his father, but his father-in-law, which is close. So we have father figure, head of the household, being Mimashesh, not just Yaakov, but Yaakov's wives, and going into the tents, which is a kind of invasion of privacy. So we have, once again, a kind of quid pro quo, kind of mida, mida, koneg, mida. And this is what gets Yaakov angry, finally. Yaakov, he gets angry. He says, what have I sinned? And now we have an interesting verb. Ki'dolakta acharai. Dolak to acharai is a strange word, because dolak in the Tanakh, and we know it, of course, from the blessing of Hadlikner, right? It means to light or to burn, right? Daleket is one of the illnesses that the Torah speaks of in the Tochecha in Sefer Dvarim. And Daleket typically is translated as a disease in which you have high fever. The truth of the matter is that in English, we have the same expression. To be in hot pursuit, right? To be in hot pursuit. That's how I would translate it. That's not the way J.P. has, but I like that idea. Hot pursuit. What's my sin that you chase after me this way in hot pursuit? So it's a rhetorical question, which typically is an accusation. Okay, you... You rummaged through all of my vessels. What did you find? Show me, where's the proof? Where's the evidence? Seem cold, place it here. before your brethren and my brethren. We have to always remember that the so-called brothers, the family of Lavan is also the family of Yaakov because Lavan is both Yaakov's father-in-law and Yaakov's uncle, right? So he's both he's related they, deep, the families are deeply connected. Um, he's running off to his mother to his mother's brother. So therefore it's, the relationship is very complicated. He's also his employer. he's everything. He's his employer, he's his father-in-law, he's his uncle. So between the relatives, let them judge it should decide between the two of us. Now, that's a very important word, bi'ochichu. First of all, it appears not only in verse 37, but it appears at the end of Yaakov's long speech to Lavan, which is in verse number um, 30, 42. In verse 42, which is the end of Yaakov's speech, that verse right there, thank you. You would have sent me away with nothing. God took notice of my plight Here they translate gave judgment One could also translate gave rebuke <laughs> 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 can mean to prove Or, to, or in English to reprove Right? To reprove means to, to, um, to rebuke In English we have the word reprove But you also have the word prove, right? In Hebrew, it's the same thing. can mean to prove, but can mean to tell someone off Lohiach to reprove. So the speech is framed, one might say, with the verb Lohiach. And that's very important because we had that earlier in the parallel story. Well, the don't parallel we have story <coughs> between Abraham, Abraham
2: and Sarah?
1: Avraham and Avimelech. With Avraham and Av, with, uh, sorry, you don't have the verb Lohiach with Sarah oh, okay. itself. Oh, you, you still have, have, it, have you them. You have it. You do have it with Sarah in chapter twenty, when Avimelech and Abraham are sort of buddies, and he says to Sarah, "I've given you a brother." He calls Avraham a brother afterwards, because Avraham said, "She is my sister." And the money I'm giving you, the thousand I'm giving you, elof kesef, will be kovin no will be a rebuke to anybody who suggests there was something untoward here. I pay a fine, kovin no But in the next chapter, in chapter 21, when Avimelech says to Avram, let's make a treaty. So Avram rebukes Avimelech in chapter 20. Your servants have stolen my water. And Avimelech in typical fashion says, he has always, you know, I don't know who did it. Why didn't you tell me? We'll take care of it tomorrow. He has all the answers. Always oh, has multiple answers. But Avram doesn't. And that's a very important point in the Avram story in breaking from Avimelech, as we had studied. And he continues in the Akeda for the break from Avimelech. So here also, it's parallel. In other words, the Avram story is what interests us about Avimelech is the degree to which Avram could be Avimelech. Because in chapter 20, they're indistinguishable, virtually indistinguishable, the way they talk, the excuses. But in 21, there's a break. And the our, Yaakov and Lavan is the same problem. What concerns us is the Lavan within Yaakov. There are parallels. And Yaakov has to break away from Lavan. And this is part of that break. Part of the break is leaving. Okay, he stole away, but he did leave. And now over here, we have a real break because uh, Earlier, he, he responded to Lavan. Here he actually attacks Lavan verbally. Here he says, let's let's review the last 20 years. And this is how I see the last 20 years. So let's go back now to verse number um, 30, 38. And now we have Yaakov's speech beginning in verse 38. And here we come to a very significant uh a significant I- idea in terms of, a significant phenomenon in terms of Jacob, which speaks to the Yaakov's, I would say Yaakov's greatness actually, what Jacob was able to do. We know that Jacob is a, you know, I would say problematic person in the early stages, despite the, ap- the apologies and the apologetics. You read the Chumash. Okay, I'm not saying, he's not a villain. But he also, as we say, doesn't get shlishy. You know what I mean? He's he's, uh, problematic. But what Yaakov is able to do, actually, and this is centrally significant, he's able to reinterpret his past. He's able to look at his past and say, I see it differently now. And that's very important, obviously. And that's what we have, actually, over here. He does it elsewhere as well. But over here, he's going to review the last 20 years. Now, let me me tell you what happened the last 20 years. These past 20 years that I've been with you, remember, Yaakov is a shepherd. And he said it explicitly, right? He says, oh, I worked for you for seven years. The word avodah. Appears in the Yaakov Ravan's story 14 times. Seven times before the birth of Yosef. Seven times after the birth of Yosef. So he said, eh He does avoda, But he also is a shomer. As he said earlier to Lavan, when Ravan made this offer, he said, stay with me. You're a good luck job. And he said, okay, I'm going to stay with you. I'll get the speckled spotted, the patched ones, etc. er eret soncha eshmar. He is a Shomer. It's very interesting that Yaakov is both a Shomer and he's an Oved. We remember that in the story of the Garden of Eden, in chapters two and three,
2: says that God took l'shamra. the human being,
1: the earthling, and placed the earthling there, Le'avda to work and to guard. And of course, How much work was done in the Garden of Eden, we'll never know. We do know that after we're expelled from the Garden of Eden, the work gets much more difficult. There's a lot of labor that goes into right. So the the human beings, uh, the human beings is is to labor the earth and the women will suffer in childbirth. When a woman's about to give birth because she went, she goes into labor, we say, right? To go into labor, which really you know straightens the bond between those two. And his job was we of That was in the Garden of Eden. But once we leave the Garden of Eden, then we have, you know, things are different because we have knowledge. But what's interesting is that earlier in this book, it talked about Sodom, Kigan Hashem, Mitzrayim, like the Garden of Eden, the Garden of God, presumably like the land of Mitzrayim. So the land of Mitzrayim, there's always water there. So the land of Mitzrayim is compared to the Garden of Eden. And what's curious is that Yaakov's experience in the house of Ravan is virtually identical to the experience of Israel in Egypt. So we, we have to at least take into account here that Yaakov is, Yaakov's job was, and he's gonna claim he did a very good job, his job was essentially. That was the first commandment one might say, of the human being, the responsibility to, to work to work, to work the land, to protect the land, to, to, to care for the animals, right? Not just to lord it over them, but to, to be a uh, guardian of the world. That's we of Sharah. And Yaakov says, "I did a very good job at that. First of all, the uh, female animals, did not miscarry, nor did I eat any of the. I didn't take what, what wasn't mine, he says. That's number one. Then he continues. A very interesting verse. Let's start with the first part. I didn't bring to you a trefo. Trefa is an animal that's torn, that was killed, perhaps, in, you know, that died. I mean, the Gemara's understanding of Trefa is different. The Gemara's understanding of Trefa is an animal that could die, a sick animal. But in the plain shot of the Chumash, obviously, Trefa is a, that which is torn up. So what Yaakov says later about Joseph, Tarof, Tarap, Yosef. I didn't bring you a Trefa, but rather, if it were, if it were missing, Right? He says, if it were missing, the word for missing is uh, from the word hate. Hate, which we call sin, is literally to miss the mark. If it were missing, you could, I, you could come to me and I would, I, I would restore it from my own purse, from my own hand, whether it was stolen by day or by night as well. If it was stolen, if it were torn, And what's interesting is, in general, that the chumash, chumash itself, the gemara does too. But the chumash sees Yaakov's service in the house of Lavan, his work ethic, the way he worked as a model. Because, for example, we know later in Sefer shmotz in Parsha Mishpatim, which has many laws. And one set of laws refers to a shomer, person who is entrusted to watch, to guard objects. The objects could be inanimate objects like vessels or money, or they could be animals. So the Torah says, let's find that verse about the animals. What's the rule of someone who's guarding animals, watching animals? So let's find, should be what chapter, let's see if we can find this very quickly. Um, Let's see where that would be. Wait one second, please. Yeah, it's over here. It's in chapter twenty-two of Shemot. Um, so it says, "If someone gives his, I'll read it to you." Verse number nine. ish Oh, we have it over there. Kesef a chamar oshar if someone gave his friend an animal to watch, and the animal died, or was captured. Nobody, but there's no proof, no witnesses. Then he takes an oath. He takes an oath that he didn't take it for himself, and he doesn't have to pay. If it's stolen, however, in If it's stolen, he does have to pay. However, if it were torn, then he shall bring it as evidence. He brings it back to the owner. Here's your animal. See, its throat is, is slashed or something. So he brings, the, literally brings the trafer back to the owner. And then you can see it was a trefer attacked by another animal and you don't pay. And that I think plays off what Yaakov says treyfo he says i didn't bring you the treyfo had i brought you the tray you'd see it was a treyfo not my fault attacked by a lion what am i going to do but i never did that if it were missing i paid and not just that when it comes to if it was stolen i never made an excuse for stolen in the daytime is one thing if it's stolen three o'clock in the morning is it my fault no, it doesn't matter. So it's interesting in general, I think, and we're not going to get into this, but it is interesting, and you have to wonder. Actually, it'd be a very interesting exercise to see to what degree some of the legal sections of the Torah relate to the narratives. In the case of Yaakov, I think it's there. Are, I, I'm quite sure more examples of this. This is an obvious one. But there's something else interesting about this verse. And let me just suggest what it is, even though it's a bit jumping ahead. We'll get there, hopefully. The verse has two parts. The first part, Yaakov says, if we were missing, anochi achatena, if we were missing, And then he added, stolen by day or stolen by night. What's interesting is that later, of course, in the Chumash, once you get past, I mean, Yaakov's there till the end of the book, but the two main characters that we are yet to meet in the end in Sefer Breshit, of course, there are two main characters, It's Yosef, Yosef is a central character, and the other main character will be Yehuda. Yehuda and Yosef will emerge as the two children of Yaakov who are central to the book. One is the son of Rachel and one is the son of Leah. When That's... it comes to Yehuda, actually, one of the great turning points in the book of Breshit, without question, is that moment later on when the brothers return from Egypt to their father and Shimon has been taken hostage by Yosef. And Yosef demands to see the remaining brother, Benjamin, who's protected by Yaakov. Rachel's remaining son. And they come back, they open up their sacks and they're filled with money. And Yaakov is very, they're all frightened. And Yaakov says, I'm not sending Binyamin back with you. He's afraid to him. Yosef is missing, Shimon is missing. Now you wanna take Binyamin? And he must wonder to himself, you got a missing brother and you got a ton of money. What is that about? They have all the food and they have all their money missing Shimon. Now in a normal family, you don't suspect they sold him for money, but this is not a normal family because in fact they have caused the sale of Joseph. Yaakov refuses to send Binyamin back. But meanwhile, there's no food, Shimon's back there and the family will never be constructed. And somebody emerges as the hero, it's Yehuda. And first Ruvain speaks up, you can kill my two children. Yaakov says, forget it. Then Yehuda speaks up, send the boy with me, he says. Send the boy with me. It's going to be okay. Anochi ervenu, says Yehuda. Mi-yodi t'vaqshenu. In what we talked with Fanecha, right? B'chatati lu-yavi kol ha It's exactly playing off what Jacob says. Jacob said, Anochi achatenu mi-yodi t'vaqshenu. And Yehuda says, mi-yodi And if I don't bring him, b'chatati. So taking personal responsibility, he actually echoes what his father said. He echoes the best part of Yaakov, the sense of, I took full responsibility for my work. Now, what about the second half? Gnufti Yob or Gnufti Lilo. So that also has echoes in the book of Breshit. Where do we have the double Gnufti later on in the book of Genesis? We have it in chapter uh, 40 with Joseph, Gano, with after Joseph interprets the dreams of the baker and the butler, he says to the butler, in three days, you're gonna get out of here. Do me a favor, speak to power for me. He says, after all, I'm an innocent person. I was certainly stolen from the land of the Hebrews. Here too, I did nothing wrong. That they placed me into the in the in the pit, in the jail. Now, one can say that in the case of Mrs. Potiphar, he did nothing wrong. Although, even there, as we'll see, it's not so simple. But it's very hard to say that in the land of the Hebrews he did nothing wrong. When the first thing we're told about Yosef is, Yosef rahal and he seems to be telling tales, which for the Torah is a serious offense. So the interesting thing is that, I think, points out a difference between Yehuda and Yosef, which is very significant. They're both heroes, but they're very different. In one of them, it's all about taking, all the, all the after Tamar's story, taking personal responsibility. With the case of Yosef, for a good part of the Joseph narrative, he fails to take personal responsibility. And that's a very important point as we get to the Torah play, this, this statement of Yaakov is played off on later in Sefer Bereshit. Can we stop here for a moment? Are there mm-hmm. any comments or questions?
2: Rabbi Silber, Yehuda yes. learned from his experience. Yosef has always been in a vacuum through this entire period. It was hard for him to learn. What is he going to learn from the Mitzrim,
1: you know? Right. Like, I mean, what Yehuda I mean is, learned from
2: his experience, you know.
1: Well, first of all you can learn from everybody let's start with that yeah okay. you can learn from a negative experience in fact i think yosef does learn from egypt he learns late in his life that paro and mitzrayim is not his place that in fact power was using him all along power uses joseph to make power wealthy also to make the people content but there are many ways to learn and i think most of the time Yes, sometimes someone gives us a path, which is, we're very grateful for that. And sometimes we learn from life and from the mistakes that we made, which had very bad consequences. And sometimes not always we learn from that. So there are many ways to learn, Um, but I think it's consistent and maybe till the very end. At the end, Joseph may change, but throughout his life, uh, I don't think we see Joseph ever, ever taking responsibility. I mean, the end, he takes responsibility for the brothers. Finally, at the end, and Yosef. But throughout, oh, we will get to Joseph. He's very complicated. He's a fascinating character, obviously, and it, the culminating stories of Sefer Breshi. But we'll hopefully get there. Anybody else for comment or questions? Yes.
2: Um, in Here's,
0: the chat from Michael yeah. Bloomfeld, please correct me if my Hebrew pronunciation is wrong. I wonder if Emash is connected to Yimshesh.
1: Yes, it is. Yemashesh and Mashash is the same word. No. No. Emesh. Emesh. Yes, Emesh. Oh, Emesh. Emesh. could be, that's not bad, actually. Emesh could be, a, it's not connected etymologically to it, but it might be a play. That's true. That's a good point. I would say yes. I would say it's that, yes. The connections are not always in terms of the roots. Sometimes the context, the sound, can also be a connection. That's a that's a very, that's a good point. Yes, thank you. For
0: like that. like Treifa and Taraphim.
1: Yeah, Trefa and Taraphim. Yeah, like I, yes. I
2: was I was thinking Different that. Different
1: words <laughs> sound alike. Yes. Right. Rabbi okay. Silver.
2: Rabbi yes. Silver. Uh, we had a discussion similar, um, and this is we we came to the conclusion that this is the first instance where a brother became his brother's keeper, whereas previous brother relationships. There was denial, or there was strife between them. And in the beginning, with Joseph, there obviously was strife with his brothers. But now, Judah is
1: stepping up and saying, "I am my brother's keeper. I'm. I will put myself in their place." That's a very, that's true, and not just. It's actually his half brother, which is even more the case, you know. And even with this reason not to, and so of course that the Yehuda taking responsibility. Being the Arab is a central moment. By the way, just to make a small point related to this, that the one who understood that that moment when Yehuda speaks to his father, Anochi Yerven, is, is one of the great moments in the, in the larger Joseph narrative was the author of Megillah Esther. Because the great turning point actually in the Megillah, I mean, I love the Megillah, but the, the great turning point in the Megillah has got to be the chapter where Mordechai is trying to convince Esther to save the Jews and it's not simple because she initially doesn't want to do that but and it plays off the Megillah plays off I can't get into the language now it's in my book but the the Megillah plays off certain pieces of the Joseph story and that's one of them it plays off and that I think is the great moment actually where you, you get a sense when Yehuda says you know um Remember, when Yehuda says to Yaakov, I'll take responsibility, and Yaakov is, is, is moved by that, Yaakov is not convinced that Yehuda will be successful. Not at all. He says it straight up. Kasher shalkalti shalkalti, he says. If I'm bereft, I'm bereft. And God should give you mercies. He says, God, rachamim lufnei ha'ish. He's not, he, gives, he gives it to Judah not because he knows that Judah will succeed. Quite the opposite. He's very fearful Judah won't succeed. He sends a gift with him. He prays to God. And he says at the end, kasher shakalti And the Megillah picks up on that. Because after Esther agrees to go to the king, what does Esther say? I will go to the king. I will break the law. Vani kasher avadati she says. If, I'm, if I perish, I perish. It's even more, it's almost like when I perish, I will perish. She doesn't think that she will succeed. Now, she does succeed because of her, you know, she's very brilliant. Uh, he has a brilliant insight into him. But I mean, the two stories are, are linked together in so many ways. And the fact that the McGill picks that story up, one of several of the Joseph narrative, just underscores for us, I think, how that's a great turning point in the story. Well, I mean, we'll get there but actually it's picking up on the language of Yaakov right here in chapter 31. It's interesting, by the way, I remember my first Rebbe actually, I mean my first Rebbe is for my parents actually, from which I learned a lot. My first Rebbe in this yeshiv was Rabbi Aaron Lichtenstein, a wonderful teacher. I owe, him, I owe him a lot actually. Um, and he used to point out, he was someone who <laughs> tried to learn every second of his life. And one of his favorite halachot was, the Gemara says in brachot, you know, in Brikat HaMazon, there were four blessings. The first three blessings of Brikat HaMazon are deemed to be what they call do They're mandated from the Torah. And the fourth blessing, atova Tova was a rabbinic add-on after the, after the um, killings at Beit The Gemara says that workers who eat during the work make the first three blessings. They don't make the fourth blessing because that would take away time from their labor. They don't want to cheat the boss. They don't want to cheat the, the employer. You love that halacha. Now, how long does it take to say, I told you, you know, <laughs> about 30 seconds, maybe. You see the degree to which the Gemara takes seriously uh, obligation. I'm obliged to do this. The Gemara takes seriously also the employer's obligation to the employees. But I mean, you have a job to do, you're dedicated to that particular job to the extent that you're not saying a bracha, fourth bracha, so the rabbis waived it because you don't want to take time up from from the work. That's basically in the spirit of what Yaakov says. Yaakov says, I worked for you, I went way beyond. I went way beyond. I worked in the daytime, I worked at nighttime, right? And I, I paid out of my own pocket even where I would, would have been not responsible. Trefalo he says. That's the first thing he says. And the next verse, he continues this day and night theme. Hayiti bayom in verse number 40. Acholani He says, I worked in the heat of the day and the freezing cold of night. Vatidad shnati it says, and, the, and sleep. Sleep left my eyes. In other words, I couldn't even, I couldn't even sleep properly at night. Sleep fled from my eyes. There may be even a play here on the word shenati, shena, which is sleep, and the word shana. I worked 20 years, I worked for you for, it's gonna get, he emphasizes the 20 years. And during those 20 years, I haven't slept. Says, i worked for you all the time. I did everything and more as far as I was concerned. And then he continues. For these 20 years. I worked 20 years, 14 years for your two daughters, six years for the sheep. And you changed my wages 10 times. And here actually, he had said this earlier to his wives. I had a dream, etc., and your father cheating me, etc. And here he says it to Lavan, which means it's probably true. Whether ten is a precise number or not, the point is, I've done gone way beyond. I, I, I pay out of my own pocket where I'm not responsible, and you're constantly changing my wages. And avada ticha, I worked for you 14 years. And that's the 14th time the word Avodah is found in the Yaakov Lavan story. And Avodah can mean work, but it can also mean eved, is a slave. And yet what Yaakov is saying here is, I think, I wasn't actually, from your perspective, I wasn't just a worker, I was a slave. Because one of the things that a worker gets is fair pay, should get fair, fair pay. You can't just change the wages all the time, but you change my wages, many times and of course he recalls the 14 years he worked for the two wives he was always supposed to work seven years for one wife. so i've, I've gone way i've done double in other words and the theme of double is there right in other words mm-hmm. day and night He worked there. there's a day shift there's a night shift but you don't work both shifts uh, so that's what yaakov is saying over here So I've done done more than expected, and you have cheated me. And then he continues. If not for the God God of Abraham, the fear of Isaac. He calls God the fear of Isaac. You would have sent me away with nothing. Loven said earlier, why did you run away? Would have hired a band, sent you away with great joy. You would have sent me away with empty handed, with nothing. God saw on ye my suffering and my hard work and rebuked you last night. And here, as I pointed out many times, this is a very significant verse, the verse number 42, because it contains the word on ye. Earlier Yaakov speak, spoke about Avadaticha. And we remember, of course, that the covenantal terms back in chapter 15. With Gerut, when Avram said, through what shall I inherit the land? So here we have Abdut and Inui. We have Avdut 14 times, but we got it in verse number 41. And in verse 42, we have Inui. Yaakov says, my understanding now of the last 20 years is slavery and abuse. Now, it certainly wasn't the case earlier. We have no intimation that Yaakov thought so earlier. But looking back, what's missing over here, of course, is the word gear The word GER is missing because in the covenant of RIP and Abitarim, it's GER, then ABDUT, and then INUI. We have ABDUT and INUI in the correct order. We don't have GER at all. And this is a very important point. i have to state the point now, and then we'll, in the chapter, we'll see how this plays out. That's later, sir. The so. fact of the matter is, we don't have gear in chapter 31 but we do have gear in chapter 32. Because after Yaakov leaves the house of Lavan, and he sends his messengers to greet Esav, and to send gifts to Esav, uh, at least to greet Esav initially, and um, he says, tell Esav im Lavan garti I was a gear in the house of Lavan towards the beginning of chapter 32. So it's interesting that we have gear. Eved and Inui, Yaakov says this. Yaakov defines his own experience as Gerud, Abdut and Inui, which means as a covenantal experience. It's not just punishment. It's a covenantal opportunity. But of course, we ask the question, why, why did the Torah shift the order? Because in the promise to Abraham, Ger, Eved, Inui. Over here, it's Eved, Inuit and then Ger. What, why, why the difference? So in the past, many times suggested, because the, from one perspective, Gare should be first because being a stranger, being a marginalized person is what makes it much more easy to inflict upon the other person, slavery or abuse. It's a lot easier to attack people that you marginalize first that's human beings have done this throughout history and the Jews have been the, at the receiving end of this very often, you're no good, you're this, that, you're a God slayer, you're whatever it is, dishonest. And that's the excuse. And then they can, they can enslave, they can torture, they can kill or whatever. That's true. And that's the order that we have in chapter 15. But from a psychological standpoint, how I feel, Gare is different because Avdus and Inui are pretty much objective realities. Someone enslaves me, I'm a slave. Someone beats me, I'm beaten. But gear is different because gear is not objectively real. gear is how I feel. You know, you can be in a room with a lot of people and you feel very, very different, very isolated sometimes. Sometimes it's not that way. Sometimes you feel very much a part of something. And so the gear, the sense that's not my, this, this is not my place. One often feels that after one leaves. You are know, in a certain situation, sort of stuck there, and you accept it. That's, that's the way it is. Then you leave one day, and you say to yourself, how, do, how did I last there all these years? How, how did I put up with it, you know? And that's true in the case. Yaakov says gear after he leaves. It's a process. He already is in the process of leaving. He's already rebuking Lavan, and this process will continue. But the full realization, that was never my place. That happens after you leave. There's a parallel to that in the beginning of Sefer Shemot, I'm not gonna get into that now, but that's from a psychological standpoint, makes perfect sense. But on the other hand, from these, from Breshit, and actually in Arami Oveda, there is gear Inu and Avgut, different order. But gear is what makes possible the other things. Once you're, once you're an outsider, it's a lot easier to, once you're demonized or whatever, it's easy to 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 uh, discriminate against, to attack, etc. So here we have the avdut and the inui. It's Yaakov's own perception. This was not. We haven't gotten to Gare yet, but he's on the right track. Okay. Now let me just stop for a moment and take any comments or questions, then we'll continue. Yeah. Yes. I'm I'm, I'm,
0: I'm, assu- I'm assuming that we're that we're witnessing here um, uh, another another shlav, another another. Another another development in Yaakov's development needed development of character in which in which while he is getting angry, which is a switch for him, he's getting overtly angry, but he still doesn't get it. Um, I mean, he's I mean, the, the the reader, the reader can't miss what Sarah brought up about Yamashesh, that it's mida keneged mida. But Yaakov doesn't seem to yet get that that's happening to him because of what he did. So he's outraged. If he right, understood that's, if he understood the matter. content, the karmic context, he wouldn't be outraged. Or maybe right.
1: he still, would, he I, would still would because he's not, I would say he's on the right track. Yeah. I don't think he's fully look the, the process will culminate in, in his becoming transformed, which is becoming Israel, which is the wrestling with the Person, divine messenger, etc.
0: Okay, but My then what is, I want, to, yeah, but then what I want to see after that is I want to see him have the guts to not only confront of head on, which he does, but to 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 not then fake of out and deceive him that he's gonna he's gonna actually meet up. Okay, with so him. we'll
1: get to that. I, I, okay, all right. Question. Right. So we'll see that. We'll see chapter thirty-three. I'm going to meet you later. He doesn't. We'll discuss that, and I think Yaakov is someone who you know throughout his life. I think it's not just actually, I wouldn't say that wrestling with the Ish is the end of Yaakov's development. I think Yaakov develops up to the very end. I think the greatness of Yaakov actually is in Parshat Vayechi, where he actually builds the family and he understands. I mean, Yaakov is the key figure in the book, and the book is, and he's also Israel, so we'll, we will see. Uh, but your point is well taken. It's, not, it's a process and we're in the process, but seeing the last 20 years as suffering and slavery certainly is, is not what we understood Yaakov to, to be thinking earlier, you know? Um, Yaakov really doesn't seem to be terribly upset. I mean, he's angry that Lovin tricked him, that's for sure. But he's doing very nicely there until he sees the faces of Lovin's children and Lovin's own face. he hears them talking. So it's, a, it's a, it, we're, he's moving in a certain direction, let's put it that way, we'll have to wait because it's it's all process over here. Now, this is what Jacob says. Now we have Lovon's response, which is pretty much what we anticipate from Lavan. Um, sorry. I, I, yeah, someone yes. else, go ahead. Yes, uh, one more question. Um, actually, yeah. uh,
0: Laszlo Marcus. Yes. Uh, Laszlo, you should be able to speak.
1: Mm. I'm not hearing you, Laszlo. Well. Okay.
2: Unmute. Okay. Unmute. I know you. Go ahead. Okay. In terms of Jacob's development, yes. at the end of his life, when he speaks to Paroy, he is very direct, and he says the very things that an Egyptian wouldn't want to hear: that his life is short, that it's uh, suffering, and uh, he throws a kind of a challenge to Paroy, uh, so that he does become a straight man.
1: Right. I mean, Jacob does have a very difficult life. Of that, there can be no question. He says it straight out himself. And uh, you know, we'll get there hopefully someday, but he but sees goes the suffering. So much against... his, you know what it is? I mean, he's. I think Yaakov, but I don't want to jump the gun. Yes, he says it explicitly. My, life, my years are short and bad. That's what he says. But I think that, you know, I think what is difficult to accept is when one feels that life has no meaning. I think that that's not Yaakov. Yaakov knows he suffered, but Yaakov actually builds, build, builds a family. And we have to remember that the covenant is, is that kind of a covenant. The three generations of Abdul and Inuit, the fourth generation shall return to the land. The third generation does not return to the land. So Yaakov actually is willing to Pay a very dear price to set up this covenant, or to 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 you know to to uh, to allow others to enter into the covenant to, to build Robert the foundation. Silver. My yes. point was slightly different
2: in that he is everything he says there is a direct challenge to Egyptian values. The idea of a short life, of a life that is uh, uh, a struggle. You know, in in Egypt, the values are that you maintain everything on an even keel and that if everything lasts forever, or at least you try to. And he even mentions his death, which is, again, one of the things that uh, Egypt struggles against, uh, the recognition of death, the end of life, so that he became a straight man.
1: Right. I'm not sure how much of that, though, emerges from the Chumash. I I, I hear what you say. And so we, uh, you know, other non-biblical texts do suggest that you're on the right track there. What I don't know, and you could be right in the Chumish, maybe the Chumish assumes that as well. I, I simply don't know the answer. But, yes, I, I would say something else about the speech, the Paroch. This is, by the way, in the realm of speculation on my part. So, you know, sometimes I feel it's rooted in the text, but sometimes I feel it's called a drush. I mean, a drush is something which actually could be right. It doesn't mean a drush is disconnected. I always wondered about that verse. Since you mentioned it, it wasn't my intention to speak, but since you mentioned it, it says that Joseph brought Jacob to Pharaoh. Joseph brought Jacob to Pharaoh, and he stood him up before Pharaoh. And Pharaoh says, how old are you? He says, not as old as you think. He says, I am look older than I am. My, My years were few and bad, and they didn't reach the years of my parents and grandparents. I always wondered about that speech to Paro. Who's he actually talking to, you know? Is he talking to Paro? Or is he talking to his boy staying next to him? Mm-hmm. All these years, you know? Joseph was 17 years with Jacob in the beginning of his life and 17 years at the end of his life. And for 20, for many years, he's not there. And his father is, says, I will mourn and cry till I go down to the grave. And Joseph said, named his son Menashe, he wants to forget his past. He asked about that, how's the old man doing, he asked. But I wonder about to what degree he's just talking to Paro. And to what degree sometimes you talk to one person, but you're really talking to somebody else. You're really talking to somebody else, you know. Like I, I just finished the book. I wrote a book called *Mahut Adam*. It's the conceptions of kingship that emerged from the Book of Shmuel. It's written in Hebrew by my colleague and friend Ben Zion It's a beautiful Hebrew. I wrote the book for the world. I wrote the book for you. And there are some people I wrote them for specifically, not my students, but I wrote it for certain people. One of them sent me a note. I think myself, I, I wrote it for this guy. You know. Um, very big scholar, he loved the book, and I had him in mind, actually. And the same thing is often true with us. We're talking to a group of people, we have someone person to buy, you know? And I always wondered about that. Is he talking to Paro, or is really talking to Yosef? I've had a miserable life, my son. Understand, all these, all these years, and part of it is my own fault, maybe, but you and the brothers and the sale, as, as, as Rebecca said, if Esau kills Jacob, why should I lose them both? And for all of these years, you know, I have my children who maybe he suspected, maybe not, cause me to mourn without stop. And you've never contacted me and then no attempts, and you want to forget me. And all the struggles and the troubles between the, two, the children of Leah and the children of, 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 of Rachel, I've had a very difficult and very bad life. I was wondering if he's talking to Paro. That's an mm-hmm. excuse. What well, is power of care? You know. Mm-hmm. Anyway, just an aside. Okay, let's now continue with uh again. So as far as Laszlo's point, is interesting. I just wonder whether it emerges from from the uh from the Khumish. Do you see that about Mitzrayim in the Torah or not? Maybe you do have to look more carefully and re- read it again. We're coming to say Shmo, it's a good opportunity.
0: I have um, one question. Yes. Yeah. Um Go
1: ahead.
0: Aside from Yaakov's um, personal transformation, is the fact that he, in 31 and 32, it's Avdut, Inuy, and Gerut, is that preparing him to be covenantal ready for the transformation to Israel?
1: I would say yes to that comment. I think yes.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And but um, we'll see. You know, the truth is that we will beginning, hopefully, when we resume this particular set of sessions, you know,
2: mm-hmm.
1: I mean, one thing I say for Brashid is, it's sort of great all the way through, you know, it's just really this, I met today with a dear friend of mine, and when we, after Parashat Bayechi cries every year, you know, doesn't mm-hmm. want to leave Genesis. I understand mm-hmm. that. Well, we'll, get to, we'll get to these points about Jacob's, mm-hmm. Jacob's transformation is one of the key themes mm-hmm. in the book, clearly from mm-hmm. till the end of the, of the book itself. Uh, mm-hmm. Okay, let's just see if we can few more verses. so the expected It's all mine, he says. The daughters are mine, the grandchildren are mine, the cattle is mine, it's all mine. Everything is mine. But live no time, oh It's all mine. But I am concerned about my, my, my daughters and their children. He evinces is a very deep concern. The daughters didn't see it that way. Daughter daughters said earlier to Yaakov, earlier in the chapter, Halo nakhriot, He treats us as totally strangers. Right? He sold us. He buys and sells us. Okay. But says to Yaakov, I am concerned about them let's make a treaty. Same as Avimelech. Avimelech makes a treaty with Avram and with Yitzchak and now Lavan. Yaakov's Lavan is the Avimelech of Avram and Yitzchak. Let's make a treaty between me and you. Now they're going to make a treaty. Let's see what the treaty... And the treaty is very interesting. It says a lot about Yaakov. Yaakov took a stone and he set it up as as a pillar. And that's an interesting verse. Because we remember when our story began back in chapter 28, when Yaakov leaves home, Yaakov goes to sleep on a bunch of rocks, right, or, or on a rock. And when he wakes up, he takes a rock and he makes it a pillar and he promises to come back home and to build the house. So Yaakov's promise is to build God's house, whatever that means, the house. So we have the one rock, but if you bring me back in safety, says Yaakov, or evan Hazot, this rock will be Beto, will be a house. A house requires many rocks. And here Yaakov takes one rock. But by Yoma Yaakov, we have with two Avonim, gather stones. Avonim They take a whole bunch of stones and they make a pile of stones, a heap of stones, and they eat there on top of the heap of stones. And eating, of course, it's one of the signs of covenant. You know, it's eating together. It's not just a biological act, but a social one, of course. And now this pile of stones, by yagar Yegar Sahaduta. and called Yegar Sahaduta, which is a pile. The Rasha and the Lama are often interchangeable. It's Aramaic. Sahaduta, Sadi are witnesses in the, in the Gemara. Anan witnesses. Carlo Galay, and Yaakov called the pile Galay. In other words, what's the point of the verse? They're not talking the same language. They do agree to make a treaty, but they speak. It says Yaakov, "I don't talk your language." It's part of Yaakov breaking away from Rabban. is the Aramean; speaks Aramaic. Sa'aduta. right? of the sad, the witnesses. Yaakov calls it Gawaid. but you have here the theme of building the one rock becoming many, in other words, one way to understand what's gone on over here is, Jacob has promised to build God's house back in the land of Canaan. But what Jacob has done in the house of is he's built his his physical house. He has four wives, he has 12 children. If you count Dita, they're 12. Now there's gonna be one more on the way, in Yamin, but he has basically his house of 12, and he has his four wives. So he has built his house, one could say that the pile of rocks over here, apart from the treaty with Lavan, signifies that Jacob in the house of Lavan, that part of his life is coming to an end. But he does call the pile of rocks Galat. And we, by the way, we should remember looking back on the story of Yaakov in the house of Lavan, we should remember that, um, that, uh, that Yaakov uh, when he meets Rachel also takes a rock he uh, takes one, he pushes the rock off, 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 off the well. So you have over there also, the beginning of the building, he meets Rachel. And that starts this process of marriages to, to Lavan's daughters. So the, you have the theme of the rock and the building. And the story over here this comes to a culmination because they're building the pile of stones over here. This is the building of the physical family. The building of the spiritual house will take place in the land of Canaan. Now, Ravan speaks, of course. Same as Avimelech, they always do all the talking. So Ravan says, "This, this, the pile of stones should be a witness between us. Therefore, that place was called Galed. And not only was it called Galed, it was also called Mitzpah. But Hamitspa, Hashem benu it was also called the mitzpah, for he said, May God watch yitzhak a tsofer is a scout or a uh, or someone who watches. Right? Sofer, a seer. When we are hidden from each other, even though we're hidden from each other, we can't see what the other is doing, but God is going to watch over us. Then love and continues in love and fashion. Im tanet b'nol tai, bim tikach nashim Elohim ei beni u benech. says to Yaakov, I'm very concerned about two things. First of all, I don't want you to abuse my daughters. Tanet b'nol do not abuse my daughters. And furthermore, do not marry any other women. Bim tikach nashim ab'nol tai, enis he says, "Like this is this is this will be a, a violation of our of our deal." Look, he says, "God is a witness between me and you." And what's funny about verse number uh, fifty is, of course, these two things that one is concerned about, namely, not abusing or mistreating his daughters or taking additional wives, are precisely the two things that one does in the story. Because Leah, when she has her first child. She says, God wa Hashem be on ye. God has seen on ye my suffering. If she sees on ye because Lovan has manipulated, precisely to give Yaakov not one wife, but two, or maybe four. Those are the two things Lovan's very concerned about. Not to do inui to the daughters, not to take additional wives. When of course Lovan has done precisely that. That never stops Lovan, however. So the hypocrisy, of course, is throughout. And then he And hasn't he's he noticed how much lovin does the talking? And hasn't and he just lovin switched me the meaning? Excuse me. Hasn't
0: he? Hasn't he just switched out the original meaning? The original meaning was: you don't pass it to do evil to me. I don't pass it to do to go to to come and hurt you.
1: He just gave it a I new know. meaning. Now he's adding something to this. Exactly, right. he's adding to this. He's, he's giving Jacob some mussa. here. He's lecturing him about the way you treat the, 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 these women. Of course, precisely the things he's done in the past. Yes, yeah, of course, he's adding to these things. In addition, it means, in addition. <speaking> in <Hebrew> he says, behold, he says, this mound and the pillar, which I have set up between you and me, actually Jacob set up the pillar. But this, this, which has been set up between me, me and you, then he continues. This, this these are again, once again, are witnesses. This is important. This is probably the main thing he's concerned about, which is we neither this, 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 this is a border. This is a pile of stones. Says Lovin, is a border between us. Neither is allowed to cross the border to the other side to make trouble. That's what he's really concerned about. Jacob has left with a lot of his flock, with his daughters. Jacob is a force to be reckoned with, maybe not today so much, but in the future. And Lovin is concerned about that. Lovin is the Aramean. We know that later in the Tanakh, in the book of Kings, the Arameans are the main enemy. Jews and the arabians so that way he's really concerned about is this is a border between us neither us of us should cross to the other side with hostile intent the ra'ah. and now we're going to make this this treaty between us called a covenant between us and he now Robin says and this covenant God sees all and <laughs> and <laughs> The God of Abraham and the God of Nahar, their ancestral deities, judge between us. Very interesting verse. What Lavan looks to over here, loven looks to a common, a common ancestry. May the God of Abraham and the God of Nahar, their ancestral deities. We have something in common, says, says loven to Yaakov. I have the God of Nahar. You have the God of Abraham. Avraham and Nachar are brothers. So they have a common God. So the God who's watching over us is the common God to both of us, the God that is common to both of us. But Jacob doesn't swear by that God. He doesn't even swear by the God of Abraham. It's interesting. And Jacob swore by the fear of Isaac. The fear means the God of Isaac. Why did Jacob swear by the God of Isaac? and not by the God of Abraham. I think the reason is simple. Avraham is still connected in some deep way to uh, to, uh, to to Aram. Uh, Avraham is big. Avraham is connected to the whole world. Yitzhak is a different person. Yitzhak is much more insular and much more isolated. Yitzhak is very much not reaching out to the world. Yitzhak is somebody who has some a few that are very close to him. He has a profound connection to them. But Yitzchak is much more separate from. The Avimelech story is a good example of that. In the case of Abraham, uh, the oath that's taken between them, right, is they they take an oath in in terms of the treaty or the covenant between them. Right? In the case of Yitzchak, right, in the case of Yitzchak, in the case of Avram, it's the seven, the seven ewes that is set aside, sheva salt. I give you seven ewes and and they and they take an oath, and that's why the place is called, place is called Bersheva. But in the case of Yitzchak, in chapter twenty six, uh, it's different. There, after Avimelech leaves, they say to Yitzchak, "We found water," and he says. The place, is, the place is called and, uh, Shiva, and therefore the place is called Be'er until this day. It's not because of the relationship to Abimelech that it's Be'er Sheva. It's what Yitzchak finds after Abimelech leaves. In the case of Avram, that's not so. So when, what, what, what Jacob is doing over here is saying to Laban, essentially, I'm breaking away from you. I'm a different person. I'm not connected to you anymore. Uh, You have your language, I have my language. You have your God, I have my God. We do have something in common, but I see myself more in line with the God of Yitzchak than the God of Abraham. So again, it's part of the breaking away of Yaakov from Loven, of establishing his own identity. It's part of the process. It's not completed there yet. Let's take one more verse. So Yaakov offers up sacrifices. He invites the others to partake of the meal. There is a a treaty being established over here. And part the eating is, as I mentioned before, not just biological, but it also is symbolic. So I guess we'll stop at this point because this is the end of chapter 31. And when we continue this series of Sessions, we will start with chapter 32. I mean, I hate to say it gets better as you go along, but it's very powerful. And it builds because all the stories the stories build up. They're all deeply connected. So we, we have over here, the Yaakov is, has left Uaban. And now Yaakov, of course, we anticipate has to go home. But waiting for Yaakov at home is Esav, And we all remember that 20 years ago, Esau had threatened to kill Yaakov. His mother had said, I'll call you after a short amount of time and bring you back. It's all gonna be okay. And she never called him. And we don't know why she didn't call him. Maybe she died. Maybe didn't have the opportunity. Or maybe Esau has not forgiven Yaakov. Maybe Esau still intends to harm Yaakov or to kill Yaakov. We the reader do not know. So we'll stay tuned till we can continue with this um, Will we resume these classes? Um, okay, so we'll stop at this point, I guess. Um, I'm, I am, I'm in Israel. I came here to uh, some family reasons and also to uh, see what's going on with Risha and Israel. And I was in the yeshiva that we started, which is growing, very exciting, and uh, teaching there as well. It's a very special place. Uh, I think it could have immense implications for the future, uh, giving women more opportunities and which is for the benefit of the entire Jewish community. So I'm very excited about that. Anyway, I look forward to uh, resuming and there'll be other things. Hopefully this session will continue and there will be many other sessions as well. So uh, thank you all for participating and uh, looking forward to studying with you again, hopefully very soon in the future. Thank you.
2: Thank you. Thank you.